Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode number 130 when we go back, back to, the to the past and read a comic book from the last year of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on ChrisandReggie.com or subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and by following the chalk symbols to our underground compound hidden from capitalist swine. That's right, we are going underground in this episode Mm -hmm. When we read The Brotherhood, number one, July 2001 Cover date published by Marvel Comics Story is titled, Be All That You Can Be The writer is X X Pencils by Isad Ribic Inks by Kent Williams Colors Avalon Studios Letters by John Babcock Editor was Mark Powers, the editor-in-chief was Joe Quesada, and the cover price is $2.25 Americano. Mm-hmm. Now, how how did the X book, the X line, get into a position where we published something called The Brotherhood? Yeah, about not, not even the X Brotherhood. Brotherhood, which is what I would have expected. Not, not even, yeah, there's not even an X on it except the writer. Is right, it. right. But uh, we're going to discuss just what was going on in the X universe at this point that would facilitate a book like this from getting green light lit and put on a shelf. Uh, in the introduction to the 2001 Wizard Magazine X-Men special, then-editor-in-chief Joe Quesada would say the following. He says... I've often heard that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Well, uh, that's part of it. No, maybe that's the, part of the same. That's yeah. an important part of it, yeah, but not the most important. But anyway, go on. <laughs> he continues and says, This is how I, as an outsider, viewed Marvel and the X-Men line of books. It got to a point at Marvel where plopping an X on the cover of a comic book was like printing money. And hey, why not? The fans wouldn't know the difference. He continued, Here's the problem. Marvel couldn't tell at the time that we were gorging ourselves on our own hindquarters, the veritable serpent eating its own tail. But you fans knew. You called out, but whoops, there went the back legs. You screamed some more as the company was gnawing its own armpits. Then finally, mercifully, hundreds and hundreds of you turned away, unable to bear the sight of what Marvel's next swallow would bring. Hey, the more things change, right? Yeah, that sounds familiar, but all right. <laughs> where, where did you go, Joe? Uh, so clearly, change was in the air for the X-Men line of books. Um, after a less-than-stellar homecoming for legendary X-Men writer Chris Claremont, which not only turned off and baffled readers new and old, but failed to take advantage of a $400 million feature film, oh, God. Marvel had to make some changes. 
Now, this failure is usually cited as one of the primary reasons that Bob Harris was removed from his position as Marvel's editor-in-chief. And we talk a lot more about that during Weird Comics History Episode 18, The Strange Story of the Century, which is available in the archives. Yeah, so Uncanny X-Men saw Claremont removed in favor of Joe Casey. Casey's philosophy coming in the door was the book's about evolution. Aside from actual storylines, the book itself should be the evolution of comics. It should be, from graphic design to costumes to things that we deal with in the stories themselves, it should be all be the next step. This is what mainstream comics should be doing. When this stuff comes out, people are going to be imitating it for the next couple of years. In practice, Joe Casey introduced Stacy X, a mutant prostitute, and the X Corps, who were originally dressed in SS uniforms. So, ahead of the curve with that one. Good job. <laughs> there you go. Forward thinking, uh, yeah. Uh, so, he didn't last long, though. Shortly into this new era, he'd be replaced by Chuck Austin. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks for your help. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Claremont also handed over the reins of X-Men Volume 2, which is now renamed New X-Men, to writer Grant Morrison. And we're going to cover that entire run in long form soon, sooner yeah, than later, We've I'm talked sure. about it many times, yes, you and I. Yes, many so times. Uh, now, Morrison's philosophy coming in is, we just want to take it back to the mainstream. It became the comic fan's comic of choice. It was the comic that you'd, have, you'd had to have read a lot of comics to understand. It seems really important to drag it back into the mainstream, especially in light of the X-Men movie. People liked that movie. They were ready for it. They were prepared to take on those characters. They didn't think of them that much as superheroes. But don't cry for Chris Claremont, however. He would be handed his own all-new flagship-ish X-Men <laughs> title, Extreme X-Men. Really? I, 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 even, even almost 20 years later, extreme X. Oh, I know. They, they, but in a way, they, somebody had to do it. Who else could Somebody do? had to. <laughs> uh, so this was after being offered the opportunity to remain an uncanny X-Men and cooperating with Grant Morrison's plots in new X-Men. It was either that or this brand new book. He chose the latter. Uh, of this opportunity, Claremont would say... This is a new beginning, a new direction, and we're all swinging for the fences. We've got some of the hottest characters, the best characters in the canon, and the stories we'll be telling will be as essential to understanding who and what the X-Men are as anyone else's. Yeah, the Extreme Team's original lineup would include Storm, Bishop, Beast, Rogue, Psylocke, a new Thunderbird, and Sage who was formerly known as Tessa from the Hellfire Club. So, uh, uh, you know, if that doesn't sound accessible in mainstream, I don't know sure, what does. All right. <laughs> you know Sage, right? right Come on, yeah. moviegoers. Yeah. Uh, now, the original premise and the quote-unquote mission statement for Extreme X-Men was for this team to go seek out the lost diaries of the mutant destiny. Wow. So, totally accessible, totally mainstream. <laughs> But they uh, they seem to quickly forget about that, and the book just became you know just another X title after a couple months anyway. What was that? What was that? Casada uh, was saying about a snake eating its own tail. What is you know that's what this? Uh, yeah, the little Ouroboros. <laughs> a little more yeah. of that there. But uh, <laughs> early on, Claremont would fall victim to the new "dead is dead" rule, which was at the, in place at Marvel at the time. When he killed off Psylocke with plans of bringing her back, an editorial said, "No, no, no." No, no. For a while, it was truly they held to it. Uh, the Warren Ellis plot-mastered sub-imprint Counter-X, consisting of X-Force, Generation X, and X-Men, was deep-sixed. 
Emma Frost and Chamber from Generation X were shifted over to, into the flagship books. Emma Frost was given a secondary mutation of diamond hard skin to fill the role that Morrison had planned for Colossus. But he was dead. And remember, dead is dead. Until the vampire guy, Slayer guy says it's not, of course. You know. Yeah, it's true. Uh, now, X-Man heroically sacrificed himself to save the world. He'd get better. They always Oh, do. eventually. Yeah, they always <laughs> do. It might take years, but they get better. The lone surviving title, X-Force, became so- something altogether different when Peter Milligan and Mike Allred change everything up. Uh, there's another one we'll be getting around to at some point. For sure. Uh, other canceled X-Books included Mutant X, and we'll talk a little bit more about this one later. Yes, we've got both Gambit and Bishop the Last X-Man. So Gambit and Bishop the Last X-Man were the first ongoing solo attempts for both of these characters. Gambit, written for all but its final issue by Fabian Niciesa, had the titular hero dealing a lot with the guild-related problems, uh, the Assassin's Guild, the Thieves' Guild, a lot of that stuff. It was actually the only time that that stuff was interesting to me was in this run. It was pretty good. Um Now, Bishop, on the other hand, was thrown into the far-flung future, though a backwater Earth, where he is now—now he is remembered as a legendary member of the X-Men, which kind of turns Bishop's original premise on his ear, because he came from the future, and he was, like, in awe of these legendary X-Men, and now he's in the future, and people are in awe of him. So that was pretty neat. Um, He still fights Trevor Fitzroy here, though, who is uh, known as the Chrono Master, because Bishop and Fitzroy always have to fight. Uh, Now, Gambit and Bishop's titles would merge with rumors that it was going to continue into a single ongoing series, probably called Gambit and Bishop. Mm -hmm. But after a uh, brief brief and very, very nutty uh, miniseries, it, it just didn't come to pass. Uh, well, there was uh, X-Men The Hidden Years. This was a series intended to fill in the blanks between X-Men 67 through 93 when the original title became a reprints-only book. Uh, written and drawn by legendary X-Men fella John Byrne. This cancellation after 22 issues stuck in his craw for a rather long time. Still might, actually. He'd say, I could have easily done 100 issues or more before I had to send the team off to Krakoa. Uh, that's Krakoa, the living island, was the major threat in the first all-new X-Men story to follow the break in publication in Giant Size X-Men number one. That was 75, right, you want to say? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he felt he had more stories in him, and they yanked it. Uh, of the cancellation, Byrne would say, sales were not given as a reason X-Men The Hidden Years was canceled until fairly recently. Uh, this quote is from shortly after the time of cancellation. Uh, he goes on, uh, this first, the first reason given was that it was redundant rather than that it was confusing. Uh, sorry, the first reason given was that it was redundant, then it was confusing based on a description that did not match the book. Then it was the least-selling X-Book, and finally, it was the worst-selling X-Book in history. At a time when no Marvel book tops 100,000, X-Men The Hidden Years 45,000 seems pretty respectable. Better than Spider-Girl, for instance, which has been saved from cancellation. Now keep in mind, the professed redundant and confusing nature of this book didn't stop Marvel from publishing a whole line of X-Men colon first class books, Mm. which were incontinuity stories taking place in the good old days and the years that followed. Plus, plus we just just described a bunch of books that are as confusing as anything, so what do you... It's true. (laughs) 
It's true. Uh, uh, Wizard Magazine issue 113 from February 2001 gives us this burn quote. He says, Hidden years and a lot of other X-books, all of which are profitable, are being axed. Joe Quesada was not able to give me any sort of reason that made sense. Killing profitable books in a failing market? So, since I have no interest in devoting my time and effort to a company apparently intent on committing suicide, my relationship with Marvel is over. That is one of the most perfect John Byrne quotes you could ever Isn't hear, it? by the way. I have no interest in devoting my time. Anyway. Uh, you are committing suicide. Exactly. Good day, sir. <laughs> uh, and indeed, Byrne would keep his distance from Marvel ever since, even censoring the very use of, of the word Marvel on his message boards at burnrobotics.com. Mm. That is, until fall of 2018, when a project called X-Men colon Elsewhen started getting bandied about the internet. He explains to Sci-Fi Wire that the story would take place in an alternate timeline in which Phoenix survived the ending of the Dark Phoenix saga. Penciled pages from this project are posted on the Burn Robotics forums. Uh, there's nothing concrete, though, concrete about this. Though current Marvel editor-in-chief C.B. Sabolsky does seem to be trying to mend fences with John Byrne somewhat. We'll see. Yes. Now, X-Men editor at the time, Mark Powers, would say, regarding all these cancellations, he says, this stuff is selling more than a lot of other books we publish. A lot of books other people publish. But we're trying to streamline the line and make it so every book has a clearly defined niche as to what it's trying to accomplish. They don't want to publish something just because it's an X-Men book. Wow. Talk about... <laughs> Talk about a turnaround. I mean, what? What, what are you saying here? Never say anything in print. Yeah, good God. He, can, he continues to say, I believe the philosophy is that by getting rid of some of this stuff, we'll pick up more readers on the regular books, and it'll leave a bit of shelf space open for some new X-Men stuff they want to launch. This is that theory you see, that, and you see this today all the time, that people go to the comic shop with just a number of comics in mind. They don't care which ones, right? I, I will buy five. I'm going to buy five today, and now all of you have to compete for those slots. And uh, that's uh, that's my limit, but I will buy five for sure. Uh, so, yeah, that, that probably, I'm going to say that probably didn't work for them. Anyway, um, <laughs> X-Men family books that did continue, though, were Cable. Uh, this is uh, Robert Weinberg exited as writer after wrapping up a storyline called The Dark Sisterhood, which played with the concepts of the Ascani and brought Rachel Summers slash Grey uh, back into the fold. She was like, what, part married or something? <laughs> well, she was uh, she was a uh, Cyclops' daughter from an alternate future, uh, but sometimes she goes by Summers, sometimes she goes by Grey. Oh, yes, thank you very much, X-Books. <laughs> uh an ambitious story that was cut short, this one. David Tishman took over and dropped and dropped Cable into the Peruvian jungle. The series would lumber along for a while before being relaunched as Soldier X. Another solo book is Wolverine. Frank Thierry was given this title, and at the time, this was assumed to be because he was tight with Joe Quesada. Now, he swears the gig was initially given to him by outgoing EIC Bob Harris, though. We really don't have any reason to believe he's lying, nor does it really matter. It we don't matter. care all that much. <laughs> uh, a lot of folks found it odd, however, that Thierry went from having zero monthly books to three all at once, once his pal rose to power. But who is to say? Yeah. Um, 
now this the you know the book it was Wolverine you know what more are we gonna say he fights things he you know? fights things he's Wolverine. got the snickety snicked we know we That's know what it. he's all about yeah <laughs> uh, Deadpool are we sure are we sure not talking about current Marvel right now because all these it's crazy Sorry. isn't it uh, Deadpool <laughs> this is back in 2001 Deadpool was Marvel's fourth lowest selling book if you can believe that it's yeah. crazy how that's turned around uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Buddy Scalera whose name was all over the place back around this time. Took over the book and riffed on the death of Superman, funeral for a friend, reign of the Superman storylines, with just kind of a more Deadpoolish trappings yeah. to it. Uh, they even renumbered the book, uh, although they did have that old legacy numbering thing at the time that somehow they screwed up, Chris. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, I know I screw up our numbering all the time, but you know, I, I'm not in Marvel Comics anyway. Uh, <laughs> Deadpool, like Cable and X-Force, would continue on for a little while before a rebranding, and Deadpool would become Agent X. Mm-hmm. We also have X-Men Unlimited. Wait, but still? Yeah, believe it or not, X-Men Unlimited was what? still going, and it was still going for years. My God! After... <laughs> now, <laughs> this is that overpriced quarterly anthology book with mostly new and un- untested talent, you know, uh... So the the reasons for the price nobody knows. I mean, it's. Ugh. I mean, if if we're streamlining the, the line, right? This seems like it, the, this should be the top of the I list of books with the axe. Yeah, Very for weird. sure. Um, there was also the powerhouse Ultimate X Men, but we're not going to count that here because that's not part of the you know canon X X book family. Right, that was a whole other universe. thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, the Ultimate Universe was like. It might as well not even been Marvel. The the the, the sales were so phenomenal yeah. for the Ultimate Line that uh, it made everything else look <laughs> much lesser. Now, uh, oversaturation and Ouroboros concerns aside, <laughs> Marvel would actually add some books to the line as well. Remember, they said they were clearing up shelf space. Yeah. So here's some of the stuff they were putting out. We've got Exiles, starring the inexplicably popular Blink. I, I don't get the, the allure, but she was very popular. Ooh. Still is, probably. Uh, she has a series in which she and a team, the Exiles, would have, uh, well, they would do like a Sliders or Quantum Leap style adventures. Oh, okay. Uh, they would travel to other times and dimensions. They would right wrongs, all that kind of stuff. And uh, looking back over the first few uh, arcs here, it, it was basically the Exiles show up somewhere and it's like, okay, Earth is being taken over by lizard people. So they have to take care of that. And then they go to another Earth where, oh, no, Earth's being taken over by Sentinels. And then they take over they yeah. the Sentinels. It's okay. They go to another one. It's like, oh, oh, no, this Earth is being taken over by meatballs. It, it was just every everything was the it same. Was always, it was always an Earth was in peril was the, old, was the That's only it. Uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, that, that can be a little uh, annoying. It was pretty formulaic, and but it somehow made it into the triple digits. It made it to issue 100. Wow. All right. Yeah. Cool. There was also uh, added to the line was the Brotherhood, which uh, we are about to talk about in a couple of minutes, so there's no reason to go into that. Uh, also, there was the requisite heaping of uh, a ton of miri, uh, a ton of miniseries and one shots, including X Men: Colon, The Search for Cyclops, the miniseries Bill Jem has singled out specifically as the sort of thing he's rather he'd rather Marvel didn't publish because it was so pointless. <laughs> uh, also, a mini whose final issue shipped two months late and had its big reveal blown in another book altogether. So that was a problem. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> now let's get into our creative team here. We've got. X. Uh-oh. And, uh, you know, your guess is as good as ours on this one. Mm, I mean, couldn't imagine who this could be. Uh, oh, okay, we're kidding. Uh, we're, but we're going to hold that reveal until the end. But if you know anything about this era of X-Books, 
Come on, you already know who this is. Um, <laughs> even if you haven't read the official reveal yet, rest assured, it is, it is exactly who we all thought it was back in 2001. But so we do have the official reveal before the end of the show. That's we right. do. Yes. We do. Uh, what we will share here, however, is an interview conducted with X by staff writer Chris Lawrence in Wizard Magazine X-Men special from 2001. And apologies to Mr. Chris Lawrence. I don't know what your voice is like, but I'm going to just use this one. <laughs> Why the anonymity? Anonymity. An online comic journalist wrote, The series will be written by Writer X. A cheesy gimmick to drum up interest. An easy way to drum up interest. Any comment? The above is an editorial statement based upon what? The obvious gimmick? Maybe. Cheesy? Wait till you see our glow-in-the-dark holographic trifold covers. We'll show you cheesy. Are we trying to drum up interest? Shame on us. God knows in the current comic marketplace we should do nothing to set our title apart from the hundreds of others out there. Are you trying to escape recognition? How about blame if the series proves to be less than successful? Simply making a statement about the direction that the comic book industry has taken. Today, celebrity is is more important than content. Let's publish, promote, cover, buy only those books with today's hot writer or artist. Manufactured star power rules all. Check out what's being published. Where's the power? The message is being lost for the messenger. Some of these guys have headshots, for God's sakes. I don't need the recognition, and I don't give a damn about blame. It's just, it's just got to be burnt, right? I mean, this is, it's him all <laughs> over right here. Like it, right? <laughs> really does, you know? Uh, yeah, if he, if he mentioned how going back to Stan and Jack, I would have been, like, definitely burnt. <laughs> definitely burnt. Uh, meanwhile, though, we do know exactly who is uh, across the table handling our duties is Esad T. Ribic, uh, was born November 10th, 1972 in Zagreb, Croatia. We graduated from the School of Applied Arts and Design in Zagreb and started doing comic shorts and strips for Plavi, a Croatian magazine in Gespenter Geschichten, a German mag. A story of ghosts is the translated title. Mm-hmm. Landed at, at Antarctic Press, where he drew codename Colin Scorpio. Four issues, October 1996 through September 1997 cover dates. He drew a story called Native Tongue, written by Brian Azzarello in Strange Adventures Number 4. That was a Vertigo DC title, February 2000 cover date. And from here, he drew the four-issue Vertigo V2K miniseries, The Four Horsemen, where he'd work under editor Axel Alonso. He jumped over to Marvel in late 2000, did some fill-in work on the X-Men family of books, and then he drew The Brotherhood. Indeed. So let's get right into The Brotherhood, number one. This one has a really cool cover by Bill Sienkiewicz here. Uh, The primary focus of the cover is a red propaganda-style poster emblazoned with the words, Revolution, not Evolution. Evolution. Uh, There's a bald head at the bottom of the main poster, though uh, there are a couple of others without this bald head. It's a recognizable cover. It's It's pretty neat. Yeah. Now, the story opens with a young man who we will soon learn is named Oswald. He's inside a discotheque in Moscow, and he is waxing petulant. Yeah, he says, Did you ever feel completely alone in the middle of a crowd? Welcome to my life. Been picked on, spat on, and worst of all, ignored my entire life. Bottomed out when I started sprouting hair on various parts of my body. What's more, he didn't even ask to be born. Dad. Yeah, let me tear those posters off the wall. (laughs) Under the best circumstances, puberty sucks. But when you learn that you're more different than anyone could believe... 
At this point, Ozzy's hands and eyes begin to glow and crackle with energy. He drops an envelope with a strange red symbol on the bar, and then the disco goes up with a badoom. <laughs> Nearby, a pair of fellows are looking on. They are Hoffman and Orwell. Hoffman is reading a copy of what looks like an American newspaper. The headline reads, Senator Kel Kelly Assassinated. Uh, this is in reference to the Dreams End story arc that had just wrapped up and then ran through Uncanny X-Men 388, Cable 87, Bishop the Last X-Man number 16, and X-Men Volume 2 number 108. Yes, in it, Senator Kelly, who, after having his life saved by a legacy virus-infected pyro, is now sympathetic toward mutants. But he's assassinated by an anti-mutant fanatic. Um, also, Dream's End saw the death of longtime X-Men associate Maura McTaggart, who finally succumbed to the legacy virus oh. herself. And this led to Banshee turning to the drink and disbanding Generation X. It also led to Colossus sacrificing his life to cure the virus. So this is a sweeping changes to usher oh, yeah. in this new era. So it really clearing the deck to uh, to move us into this this brave new world. Yeah, so we'll jump right back to it. Uh, Hoffman is pleased to see that or Oswald has carried out their plan. He goes, looks like our young protege went through with it, Orwell. What? Yeah, he is much stronger than we thought. Oh, yeah, uh, Orwell seems to only speak telepathically, and uh, <laughs> we're not privy to his end of the conversation. No, so Hoffman's just talking to himself. If only there were a comic book device that could show us what a person thinks. But Well, remember, thought balloons were not cool I in know, 2001. I know, but this yeah. is the reason we have them, Chris, for God's <laughs> sake. Uh, anyway, I mean, really, you know, here's your here's a prime need. Anyway, uh, Oswald comes shambling out of the blaze, proud that he got the job done, and Hoffman, Hoffman asks if he left a note, and he did. The revolution has begun, and you've been cho and you've chosen the right side. Welcome to the Brotherhood, my brother. Now we switch scenes to a teenager's Brooklyn bedroom. Uh, this is Mikey Asher, a boy with bad skin and an even badder attempt at a mustache. He goes, I'm going to explode. It doesn't happen soon. I just am. I think he's talking about like a literal fiery type explosion or uh, some, something else teenagers do. I'm afraid we're going to get there. Uh-oh. Uh, his folks call him downstairs for breakfast, and he leaves his room walking past a few posters of scantily clad models. Totally going to explode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, downstairs, Mikey's folks are watching Ross Ludlum, an anti-mutant straw man news host. Today's agenda is barring mutant marriages because, in his words... Mutant begets, mutant begets, mutant. And soon enough, humanity is outnumbered and then extinct. Asher's dad thinks that this is a spectacular idea, and he suggests taking it even a step further with mandatory blood tests to make sure mutants don't cohabitate and eventually procreate. Yeah, Mom says, you want to see mandatory blood testing? You'd want our son to be tested? Why not? Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you, Mikey? Mikey mutters something about needing $20 for school lunch before getting lost in a lingerie and in the back page of his father's newspaper. He's going to explode. Uh, then it's time for school, and Mikey rushes out on his skateboard and meets up with maybe his girlfriend, Carrie? Yeah, she definitely seems like a girl, I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, she says, explode, be original, Asher, explode. Asher, you don't do it so that your skin will clear up. Jeez. So, 
Are we or what, Carrie? Wow. All right. Hello. First thing in the morning. Uh, I don't know. Suddenly it's a rush. This is a huge decision, Asher, and I'm not going to be pressured into it. They walk and talk, and they pass by D and D, the Goth Twins. Oh, it's they're 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 basically a couple of Goth kids. They got edgy haircuts, facial piercings, and why? If you don't look now, but they're even smoking cigarettes. They may even be clove cigarettes if you're able to take a swift of them. <laughs> Uh, as Asher and Carrie continue walking on, we pan out and see that they're being watched by Hoffman and Orwell. Yeah, Orwell. That is our latest recruit. They decide to send a fellow named Fagin to make first contact. Uh, we, we, we rejoin D&D, that's the uh, goth queens, not the RPG <laughs> tabletop game, uh, as they're lurking around a darkened stairwell inside the school. Yeah, the first D goes, Yo, D! Anyone? And D2 says, no one, D. Let's do it. Stash away our toys. No one checks any of these places. Uh, I think they seem like they're definitely planning something here, right? There is something in mind, yeah. Yeah. But first, enter Fagin, an Australian member of the Brotherhood, who says... Sorry, mates, didn't mean to interrupt your... Ah, whatever you two are doing in the dark in this lonely part of the school. Hey, that's between a man and his hairstylists. D&D, the goth twins, scowl at Fagin, who mocks them some more before taking his leave. Fagin, he's a a little homophobic, we'll say. It's strange, but okay for a a (laughs) guy named Fagin, but all right. Uh, Over to the football field, Asher is creepily watching the cheerleaders perform. Yeah, he thinks, oh, exploding is going to happen. It's been going on since this morning. He even starts. Right? Count, he even begins counting down from ten. Uh, thankfully, his countdown is interrupted at five when Fagin yanks out his earbud. Oh, thank, thank, thank whoever you hold holy <laughs> that he didn't get down to zero. Uh, Asher reacts by going, "What the? Nice pom poms, eh? Mind if I join you, mate?" Now, before Asher and Fagin can begin to talk, a big, bald bully interrupts and tries to start something. This BBB grabs Asher by his shirt, and it looks as though he's about to pummel him. Hey, let me make go. Huh? Who are you? You ain't from this school. What are you, an Aussie? Ooh, a big Russell Crowe fan, are we? But he makes you tingle all over, huh? Let him go, or you and me can tussle right here. Probably not the way you want her with Ross, but... What the hell are you talking about? What what is he talking about? I don't know. But when you wind up Australian people, they just go and go. You don't know what they're saying. And and Russell Crowe is uh, the, uh, is he the prime minister? Uh, (laughs) Maybe at this time, I believe, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The the BBB, who suddenly has a full head of hair, uh, decides that discretion is a better part of whatever the hell is going on and walks away. Just then, Mikey sees Carrie and heads right over to her. Hey, Carrie, wait up. So, you think about it? Uh Uh-huh. And? I think I need to think some more. Seeing as though his new mate is pretty down, Fagin offers some comforting words. Man, you ain't getting any from there. How do you know? Got a gift. The girl's an ice queen. No worries, though, because Fagin has plans for the two of them, and it might even include some girls. Oh, this is turning into, like, a Porky's movie. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> or- Orwell and Hoffman are still watching this all go down from a nearby rooftop. Yes, Orwell, I agree. Fagin does work quickly. 
In fairness, I think the promise of seeing girls uh, to a teenage boy who's about to explode is enough motivation, Fagin or no Fagin. Yeah. Uh, Back to D&D, again, the goth twins, not the game. <laughs> they slam their locker shut as a teacher walks by. This locker has the name Dominic and Derek on it, so we're going to guess that's what the D&D stand for. Uh, they refer to those other dudes as amateurs, and we have a pretty good idea of who they're talking about. Uh, they're referring to the Columbine High School Massacre that took place in Colorado on April 20th, 1999, when two students shot up the school, murdering 13 before taking their own lives. So... Good, good topic to uh, reference. Yeah. I'll do an offhand reference in a comic. Mm -hmm. uh, as the teacher walks by, D&D, &D, the goth twins, point at him with finger guns. Bang, bang, Mr. Medieval History. Coming at you real soon. Yeah, and these, these lines both end with exclamation points. Yeah. I didn't know you could whisper an exclamation. You, I think you got it. It's like... <laughs> it's like sneezing with your eyes open, right? Yeah. <laughs> your, your lungs explode if you exclaim oh, in a whisper. Yeah. Uh, now, we rejoin Mikey and Fagan at a diner, and there's just so much edge dripping off the scene, you probably could use it to cut up the very comic we're reading, which might be a good idea. Now, they, they dine and dash, which really isn't nearly as cool as they seem to think it is. It's really a more pathetic thing, you know, it, this is yeah. in the real world too, you know. It's uh, it looks like fun, but it's not. It's it's just. No. So we pick back up with the boys as they're walking past a street grocer, and Fagin naturally steals an apple. <laughs> Telling you, he is mad, bad, and dangerous he, to know. He doesn't care who he hurts. I apparently. So. <laughs> I could tell as soon as I saw you. You and me are like brothers. We're the same. Bet you wake up every morning and after you're dreaming about Carrie Frost in the pants. Of, of the Connecticut frost in her pants. Wonderful family. You mm -hmm. think, why the hell's everybody so, so screwed up? Fagan then goes into a rant about how people are controlled by money and how money really doesn't have any power. I mean, this is incredibly deep stuff if you were, like, 14. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's just paper, man. Yeah. Society's looking to keep us down, to make us rent at him, to use us. Well, I'm not going to stand for that crap. What about you? I have no idea what you're talking about. Hey, that makes three of us. You're, we're <laughs> all with you on that. And uh, by this, Fagin is disappoint. You really don't have a clue, do you? I can't believe you don't know who, what you are. Huh? What I am? Suddenly, they hear a scream, and down the road a, a bit, a mutant is having the crud kicked out of him by an angry mob. Yeah, one of the, one of the angry mob yells, Freak! Another one says, How dare you show your face in our street? With a question mark. Like, yeah. like, like they were expecting an answer from this dude they're beating down. How dare you show your face on our street? On our street? You know? Well, I, <laughs> I had to go to the store. You know? <laughs> now Fagin decides to get involved. Uh, he says, this is the kind of garbage I was talking about. Mutants have gotten our asses kicked for too long. Why? Because they're different? Because they want Marshall to be the same old drum of America? Boo! And that's America with a K. That's right, the evil America. Make sure we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, I mean, like, ten seconds ago, we're going off on the evils of money. Now we're talking about a mutant's right of self-expression? There's a lot of problems, Chris. You don't understand. There's a lot of things. <laughs> we need a revolution on. here. Yeah, right away. <laughs> Asher replies with, wait, what are you doing? Why? Because I hate this crap. Besides, I'm a mutant, just like you. Do 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 we do the record scratch or? Nah, it was pretty obvious yeah, where yeah. this was heading. <laughs> uh, Asher hops into the fracas, 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 One and of those. Uh, gets cracked in the dome with a baseball bat, and then the angry mob turns their attention toward Asher. Hey, no, wait, I'm not a. 
He was lying. I... And then Mikey's eye briefly glows with power, but before anything actually happens, Hoffman arrives on the scene. Let's all take a deep breath. All this violence is unnecessary, right? The angry mob is no longer angry. They uh, appear to agree with Hoffman's uh, suggestion. Go. Live your life in peace, if you wish. Then he turns to Mikey and goes, Are you all right, my man? Uh, yeah, I think Fagan said that that I yeah yeah I'm fine. Why didn't you come with me? You had some wild and freaky day, huh? <laughs> Asher goes to leave with Hoffman. Uh, Hoffman tells Fagan to get to his feet and not to forget to leave their calling card. It's another note with a crudely drawn symbol on it. After Asher, Hoffman, and Fagan are out of sight, one of the mob opens a note. It reads. Revolution, not evolution. Then they are then approached by Oswald, who blows them all up real good. Mm-hmm. We close out with Hoffman's never-ending monologue. <laughs> There's something sick and broken in society. An establishment that keeps millions in economic slavery, separated by hate. This must change by fire, by force, whatever it takes. The revolution is coming. Tire tread burst on dog's <laughs> stomach. I feel the, I'm sorry. Uh, this monologue was reblogged two dozen times already, so the revolution Woo-hoo. is imminent, folks, as soon as that message gets out to the people mm-hmm. uh, and the mutants uh, involved. So, yeah, that was that was quite a... Uh, you know, quite that's, a time. That's the first time I, I've read this comic at all, and probably anything from this era that wasn't the Grant Morrison X-Men. Sure. Uh, and for for the one issue, I didn't hate it, but you know, <laughs> I, 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 I can't pretend to have read the whole thing. So uh, we'll we'll talk about that now. Uh, the rest of the run, uh, the title would go through three editors during its nine issue run. <laughs> Mike Mark Powers, Lisa Hawkins, and finally Axel Alonso himself. Writer X claims that the decision to cancel the book was mutual between he and Alonso. When asked why, he responded, "To answer your question, nine eleven." He continued. As soon as Marvel was back to work, I called Axel and said, I can't write a book about terrorists now. Well, part of what I wanted to explore was the root causes of terrorism, but I couldn't write a book in which they were glamorized even slightly. Which, I, I, could, I think I understand, really. It's I a, mean, good, a very good uh, plan. Yeah. The, time, the time was uh, it was sketchy, to say the least. So yeah. uh, The sales figures taken from Comicron, there are only... Uh, Nine issues, we can pretty much cover all of them. Uh, Brotherhood number one pushed 72,201 copies. That was the 10th highest selling book that month. So there was definitely some interest sure, here yeah. initially. It's, yeah. That's that's pretty great. Um, Brotherhood number two only dropped a little bit to 68,447 copies. It dropped down to the 14th highest selling book of the month. Brotherhood number three dropped a little bit more, 58,728 copies. It was the 21st highest selling book of the month. Brotherhood number four, 51,213 copies, which was the 27th highest selling book of the month. And it's crazy, because, but, but in comics, this is not bad. You know, usually, This isn't bad at all. Usually from one to two, there's, there's you, you, you lose Huge half your dip. readers, and yeah. then by the time you get to the fourth issue, you're like floundering. Uh, no, issue number five pushed uh, 43,618 copies. It was the 38th highest selling book of the month. Number six had uh, 39,776 copies. 
It was the 52nd highest selling book of the month. And then by number seven, it sold 34,694 copies, and it was the 64th highest selling book of the month. Brotherhood number eight went down to 32,465 copies. It was the 59th highest selling book of the month. And the final issue, Brotherhood number nine, was down to 29,208 copies. It was the 67th highest book of the month. So uh, the book did have decent sales, like respectable sales yeah. prior to the cancellation announcement. It's, it's so. sliding towards, you know, per- peril, but it was not there they yet all when do. it was canceled. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> now, the series featured a lot of swerves and loyalty between the members of the Brotherhood. It seemed like people were switching allegiances with almost every issue. Um, in a final act of desperation, Hoffman or Orwell or whoever the hell was in charge, because like then like there was like a British Brotherhood that came in. Well, the fact that there's Hoffman, Oswald, and Orwell, it was like, that was, that was not a good... Those names... They're yeah, too, a little, little on too the nose. interchangeable. A little too on the nose with them, yeah. <laughs> now, now, they decide that in order to, you know, keep the revolution going, they need to kill Dupe from the new X-Force. <laughs> Why? Uh, th- this does not go according to plan. They they try to interrupt, like, an X-Force appreciation parade, and, uh, <laughs> it, and like, X-Force is, like, 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 it happens, like, in the blink of an eye, and they're just, like, looking at him like, what, what just happened? Did something happen? <laughs> it, it doesn't go well. And all these wonderful characters we just met wind up dead um at the time the brotherhood was the fastest canceled x book ever wow yeah nine Uh, issues sure yeah this was a record previously held by maverick whose heroes reborn era title somehow (laughs) lasted 12 issues well i mean this is this is not the uh pure trade collection era but this is still a time i would say if you couldn't get your arc out, you know, your 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 yeah. trade completing arcs out. There was that was a bad sign. This was a uh, sure. book that was being cut. Anyway, uh, so who was Writer X anyway? Right? Who was this yeah. uh, mystery person? All we had at the time was an email address that was Writer X one two two five eight at aol dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, a certain writer we're about to discuss was born in January twenty second, nineteen fifty eight. Does that have something to do with it? That might that might be a key. So yeah, go, <laughs> so go to your calendar and cross reference all the art people you know from that day. Um, so there were a lot of rumors floating, and these are quotes taken from Usenet to start. All right, these are all all real quotes said at the time. Uh, somebody said, "Just don't tell me it's Howard Mackey." The only believable information I got about the subject was that it was a Howard Mackey story. The popular guess is Mackey. Rich Johnston claims, with no facts, that it's Howard Mackey. It's certainly bad enough to be Mackey. (laughs) (laughs) My impression is that it was a committee-written book, and Howard Mackey had a hand in the proceedings. The conventional wisdom is that it's Howard Mackey. I tend to think it was a consortium of writers. Mackey might have had a part of it. Mackey is a popular choice for who the fans think it is, but it's just speculation. Oh. A hard place Marvel deploys said it was Mackey to people in his confidence, baby. If the guesses are right, Howard Mackey is the writer. So Howard Mackey, was it Howard? I mean, Could okay, well, Howard Mackey is definitely one of the uh, one of the potential candidates here, and let's get some other quotes here. We're going to go with Paul O'Brien from the X-Axis, one of my favorite reviewers growing up, or, or into my teens and 20s. Uh, he's now at HouseToAstonish.com. He's got a podcast and everything. He's pretty great. He wrote the following while he was reviewing Brotherhood Number 2. This was on July 22nd, 2001. 
He says, so let's start with the Brotherhood, which doesn't seem to be attracting all that much attention now that people have got bored of discussing who the writer is when they found out that the first issue was just a bit middling. He continues, it still doesn't read much like a Howard Mackey book, but as one of my colleagues on NinthArt.org, a defunct comic website, pointed out earlier this week, everybody's still scared of saying they like the book just in case it does turn out to be him after all. <laughs> now, upon learning of the cancellation, he would describe the book as, quote, written by the mysterious X, which was, honest, a century-style PR strategy and not at all an attempt to avoid putting the name Howard Mackey on a book. Now, uh, what was Century Style PR? We're, we're glad you asked, because you can check out episode 18 of Weird Comics History for that. Hey, we plugged the same episode twice today. Look at that. <laughs> nice. Uh, another possibility, though, bandied about at the time, was that it could be Brian Michael Bendis. He was a newcomer to Marvel at this point. He came from Sam and Twitch, which was a gritty, grimy, street-level book. And also Jinx which was also a gritty, grimy, street-level book. He really only does one kind of book, folks, I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we got Joe Quesada himself. Around this time, Quesada, he, he wouldn't shut up about launching this, like, street-level X book that was called NYX, which would eventually see print a few years later, but he was talking about it for a long, long time. Uh, now, The Brotherhood was seen as a street-level book, and some connections were made. Um, people also cited the fact that writing under a pseudonym might assuage the EIC of any kind of accusations of conflicts of interest or anything like that. Right. Speaking of which, another case like that was Bill Jemis. Come on, like, this guy wouldn't want his name plastered over the book, though? If he was, if he was right. writing it, it would have been called Bill Jemis's, uh, you know, Brotherhood. The, the Jemis Hood, yeah. Exactly. Although, and we might be projecting a bit, Jemis would probably have enjoyed the theater of the eventual reveal. But he would have revealed, that's the thing. Oh, for sure. Uh, and we were all bracing for it, yeah. Another name at the time, Gail Simone. Now, Gail hadn't officially started her Marvel career at this point. Uh, was better known for doing some Simpsons comics and also her You'll All Be Sorry column over at Comic Book Resources. Now, rumors at the time were swirling that she was going to be getting start getting Marvel gigs, mm -hmm. which uh, turned out to be true. She would begin writing Deadpool a year later in 2002. Still, though, her name would show up in, like, the big Who Is X creator clouds pretty often. Yeah, and not a bad thing, because also, you know, she'd be coming in new to Marvel, maybe to... For sure. Ready to shake things up. Uh, another name that was also pretty big at the time that was uh, bandied about was Devin Grayson. Now, this was a few years before that whole Nightwing non-consexual sex issue, so they weren't hiding from that, um, you know, and her name really carried a lot of cachet. Uh, you can hear all about that non-consensual sex issue <laughs> if you check out episode 98 of The Cosmic Treadmill, available in the archives. Uh, Devin's name popped up often, more often than Gale's, and much more of the speculation here is based on the idea that Marvel wanted to hide the fact that X was a woman. Um, not really sure what that's all about, it's just one year, part, one year prior, Devin Grayson launched her own Batman title with Batman Gotham Knights. So, yeah. And frankly, women have been named as writers of comics... For decades? Yeah, this, so is, yeah, this isn't manga, where yeah, it was I mean, a little weird, yeah. But okay, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Now, another name, Neil Gaiman, who was uh, one of Joe Quesada's white whales, and uh, really, that was the only That's reason the only, Gaiman's yeah. name would pop up. <laughs> another one of Quesada's white whales was Alan Moore. Now, uh, if you listen to The Brotherhood, it kind of feels like a shoddy take on, mm. like, an Alan Moore-style story. It's anti-authoritarian, and really, the only things that are missing are, like, mentions of Margaret Thatcher, right. you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, they would, if, if Hoffman would have said something about Thatcher's England, I mean, something then like we would have yeah. been a... 
sure bit there. But uh, though, also after reading the first issue, it is pretty clear that this isn't Alan Moore. It's, it's just not his type of dialogue. No. There's nothing really subtextual going on here. Certainly and th- not. And there wasn't a rape, which Wilson would have been. <laughs> Uh, Christopher Priest was a name also thrown around uh, That was a lesser guess Only saw his name bandied about a few times uh, in, the, in the research Speculation that Priest himself would even address He said I actually have no idea what you're talking about Where, While I realize I may only stoke the suspicions of many here It is nonetheless true Signed, not X mm-hmm. And then there's the collective X Which is in, might include all or many of the above uh, <laughs> It's that consortium of writers And you know, outside of the whole Duh, it's totally Howard Mackey theories This one probably carried the most weight online And that's probably due to just how uneven this book feels from issue to issue hmm, and, uh, Yeah, that, that the, the, it's true, yeah. Plus, you have three editors, and that, that belies maybe that people had trouble working. You know, there was stuff yeah. going on. But So who was it, really? Uh, this was the worst-kept secret in comics, because it was Howard Mackey all along. Whoa! <laughs> Boing! <laughs> in a November 9th, 2018 interview with Brian Cronin at CBR, after nearly two decades, Mackey finally came clean. He claims that the idea for Writer X was all his. He pitched it to his editor, Mark Powers, who loved it. When asked why, Mackey said the following, I felt that comics had become too driven by a cult of personality at the time. I will not name names, but I felt that they were magazines. The internet was not as much of a force at the time, who propelled some writers to stardom. Some I felt deserved it, others... You just wait, pal. You ain't seen nothing yet at this time. (laughs) Uh, He continues, The point for me was to see if a book without a big name could succeed on merit alone. And, uh, you know, merit, gimmick, potato, potato, <laughs> it's same, same kind of thing. We're same, same stuff. Now, this is purely conjecture here, but uh, we're thinking that uh, going back to the Paul O'Brien quote where it's like they wanted to keep Howard Mackey's name off of a book. Yeah. Uh, by 2001, Mackey's name had kind of fallen out of fashion uh, because right around this time, he was at the helm of a couple of pretty big turn-of-the-century era bombs. And those include, first, the Burn Mackey Spider-Man reboot. In 1998, the Spider-Office decided it was time to give Amazing Spider-Man its first all-new on number one issue. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, what sweet summer children we were back then. Really, so naive. <laughs> Just like, oh boy, the, the first and only new number one to come out, yay! <laughs> Now, John Byrne and Howard Mackey were given the reins of this project, and the Spider-Man line was trimmed down from four books to two. We had Amazing Spider-Man, which was by Mackey and Byrne, and we also had Peter Parker, colon, Spider-Man, which was by Mackey and John Romita Jr. And they, they kept the Peter Parker in there to make sure that people who were turned off by the Clone Saga saw that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. He again, was Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, now, Spectacular Spider-Man and Sensational Spider-Man were dropped. Don't cry for them, though. They'll be back. Several times in several, I believe there, there are several volumes into their uh, lives <laughs> right now. Uh, there was also a Spider-Man Chapter 1, which reimagined Spider-Man's origin and attempted to bring it closer to the modern day. It tied everything and everybody together. Dr. O- Octopus's origin was tied in with the radioactive spider. Norman Osborn and Sandman were now related because they have the same... Weird hairstyle, you see, which actually mm-hmm. I did think was true as a kid, but that was, you know. Me too. <laughs> uh, and we also meet Captain Power, a young girl who could turn into a beefed-out hero, kind of like Captain Marvel and Billy Batson. 
Uh, chapter one didn't really stay as part of the canon for that long, and that one I did read, yeah. and I remember thinking, yeah, that wasn't really necessary, was it? No, 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 no. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1 ended with a ritual called the Gathering of Five, in which Norman Osborn assembled these five relics, one of which would give great power. We were led to believe Norman himself was given this power, when instead he'd actually been given insanity by one of the other relics. The one gifted with power would be a young lady named Mattie Franklin, and Volume 2 begins with her as Spider-Man? Yeah, accessible, mainstream, accessible. Sure, mainstream. right, very accessible. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> now, throughout this run, Byrne and Mackie would kill Mary Jane. So, in fairness, that was an order from on high. And uh, they would also try to put Peter with uh, Gwen Stacy's sister, Jill. Uh, going into this, they very nearly erased the whole spider marriage thing using the Shaper of Worlds, which is a uh, very obscure character. But uh, it turned, out, prom- it turned out not to be dumber than what actually did happen. So whatever. it's true. It's true. They, they get points for that. Uh, now we'll, we're probably going to be doing a Burn Mackie reboot series of episodes somewhere. So I, we don't want to give it all away. So yeah. we'll put a pin in that for now before we go off for uh, several hours. Um, <laughs> Now, the other bomb was Mutant X. Uh, now, the long-running X-Factor series was canceled with issue 149. That was September, 19, September 1998 cover date. And in that issue, Havoc, Alex Summers, he was exploded. But he was actually sent to, to another dimension where he would star in the Mutant X ongoing series. Hey, isn't that something? So, Howard Mackey was writing X-Factor at the time, and it stood to reason he'd take point in the follow-up series. Mutant X featured a team called The Six, which is led by Havoc. Other members include his wife Madeline Pryor, Marvel Woman. This is the Goblin Queen in the 616 universe. Warren Worthington the the Third. This is the Fallen. Uh, he's an he's Angel, but now with leathery bat wings. So yes. bad bad Angel. That's what we call. <laughs> we got Hank McCoy, known as Brute. We we know him better as Beast, but now he's green and scaly. <laughs> Aurora Monroe is Bloodstorm. We know her better as Storm, but uh, this is a vampire storm, you see. <laughs> this one goes to 11. Oh, wow, new, accessible. <laughs> we got Bobby Drake, Ice Hyphen Man. We know him better as Iceman, but this one has a hyphen. Whoa. <laughs> there you go. Now, it started out good enough, uh, and it, you know, it was just an alternate alternate world, uh, you know, whatever. And it had a particularly fun issue where, where it was kind of like a riff on Flowers for Algernon with Hank McCoy, who got his intelligence back but was slowly losing it, but he knew enough to know he was losing it, All so right. it was kind of a, kind of an interesting little take. But this, this book, oh my god, <laughs> this book spiraled into absolute insanity, but not the fun kind. Oh, well. <laughs> We've got the United States declaring war on Canada. Okay, so that, that's how we go into the end the end game here. Dracula shows up and bites everybody. Is, is Dracula related to Storm in this uh, world? So Dracula bit Storm, yes. He bit her back in the day, but now he comes and he bites everybody, including Havoc. Oh, so they're so all it, vampires. So Havoc gets bitten in a cliffhanger to the last, the, 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 the penultimate issue. He gets bitten in the neck. It's never followed up on. That's amazing. The next issue, he's fine. He was never bit. You know, some people, they, they have immunity to it, Chris. That's all. You know, they maybe. It off, yeah. uh, Madeline Pryor, who we know is the Goblin Queen, the mother of Cable, all that stuff, the Jean Grey, do- Jean Grey doppelganger. She's the Beyonder. <laughs> wow. Then she, then she teams up with Dracula, and then in the battle I mean, she, she's the... the same Beyonder from Secret Wars, is that what you're saying? 
yes. or, or a, a new beyonder. So, all right, whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> then, okay, so then you have you have Captain America and Havoc. They're fighting each other. Captain America has mutant powers right now, and they're shooting each other with beams. Ice Hyphen Man puts up these big ice barricades, and these beams are bouncing off these barricades, but somehow these beams blow the moon up. Oopsie. The, they can't blow through a few feet of ice, but they destroy a damn planet. So the moon gets blown up, and and I know reading this in a list, it sounds like this is like a crazy, yeah, a lot of it fun does. Like, Or it sounds very silly, but damn. Or just something like so bad it's awesome, but mm-hmm. like this is such a disaster FEMA should get involved. I mean, this is just <laughs> so bad. Just don't don't ever read Mutant X. I know that the two titles are not really related to two different companies, two different properties. I'm not asking you to do a one for one, but just on a scale of bad, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you compare Mutant X to Superman Grounded, which would which would be worse? Oh boy, um, ground. Well, Grounded is more like spitting in the face of a of a concept yeah. where where I mean Mutant X is just balls out, just bad. Yeah, but at least they are behaving as mutants and apparently vampires at some time. <laughs> when they decide they're vampires, yes. Yeah, so, so I'd say, yeah, you're saying Grounded is still the more offensive uh, title. Okay. As a Superman fan, about, yes. I'm just, I, I, can, yeah. I can care less about Dracula in the <laughs> Oh, poor Dracula. But but if, if you if you ever want to torture us, uh, that, that that's, a, that's a good one to request. You can always, re- you can always request these comics, folks. Uh, people haven't used that, that power very often, but that is your power to make us read very bad comics. So, uh, I, I gotta say though, still, you know, the little that I know, this is new to me, Chris. I, you obviously have a, a personal history with it. Hmm. This is still remotely interesting to me. The, the potential of it, you know, seeing where there it is went, a lot of great potential. But yeah, I can see standing, sure. uh, looking at this one issue and saying, "All right, let's see, yeah. let's see what this is," and then you know, going down the line and being like, "Oh, well, that's what it is. It sucks." So uh, there's an, there's actually an issue that of of the Brotherhood that ends with uh, Asher running on a giant conveyor belt away from like spinning blades. Wow. Yeah. It gets it 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 goes full Mackie. I, re- I, I read a House of Secrets just like that. It was awesome. <laughs> in the 1963. <laughs> it was 1963. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're gonna bring one piece of viewer mail to close out the episode, and of course, it is from our steadfast friend and supporter Jeremiah Jones Goldstein. He's at Big Ox Seven Three Seven Comics 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 dot blog is his blog. Easy to remember and important mm-hmm. to check out. Uh, he starts out saying, I finished listening to the Wallywood After Dark episode today. That was when we just recently did uh, episode three for Gang Bang from uh, 81 mm-hmm. was the comic. Uh, Jeremiah goes on, great bio on Wallywood. I really learned a lot from it. I did not realize he lived such a sad and lonely life. The comic book creator issue on him is still in my reading pile. You guys did a nice job handling it, even the more depressing parts. The comic, well, I guess it speaks for itself. The closest (laughs) I have come to that kind of straight-up porn is some issues of heavy metal. Your reading was quite entertaining. At the end of the episode, you mentioned that you feel like you should be doing more for your Patreon supporters. Speaking for myself, obviously, I don't think you need to do anything more. And I just want to cut in, of course, thank you very much, Jeremiah. That is, uh, means a lot. But yeah, these are, this, this is one of our Patreon shows, Comic Cosmic Treadmill After Dark, where we Basically do an episode yeah. on, on, on something that's saucier that we wouldn't really cover on the mainstream thing. We don't curse. We don't, mm. you know, suddenly become like, uh, you know, uh, whatever. We're not, we're not Dice, Dice Clay. And... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but, you know, we, we, we cover pornographic material or sometimes 
just messed up material that we really wouldn't put in the main show. Yeah. So if that if you think that sounds interesting, and just think about Wally Wood, uh, you know, Wally Wood is a, is a guy that we would bio, obviously, in the regular show. And For sure. Have and probably will do more, but in this case, we we constructed a bio that showed his life really not being on the up and up. It was it was more than just his accomplishments. It was about his the tone of his character. So that that's the kind For of sure. I just want to say that just that that's the kind of show that we're doing on the uh, on the Patreon. So that's that's what he's talking about. Yes. And uh, he continues to say, you already you're already giving us several highly entertaining, uh, sorry, highly engaging and fun exclusive podcasts covering material you might not normally cover on the regular show. For me, that's worth what I'm contributing and more. If I were to break it down into dollars versus hours of content, I'm well ahead in that column. Heck, if you even cut back on the number of shows you're delivering, I would not be disappointed. I really don't know where you find the time to do it all. Just my two cents from one happy Patreon supporter. Oh, well, that's very, very nice. Where do we find Absolutely. the time, Chris? Where do you think, where do you find the time? I, I you know, I, I don't know. I even, like, thinking back and, like, tabulating hours, it's like, where did that come from? I, I don't know. know. Sometimes when you when you look at the hours you put into it, you're just like, wow, I put, like, 50 hours into this somehow. I'm like, oh, how did I do that? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just a labor of love, you know, I guess. And sure. It does mean that pretty much comics... Revolve around everything around we everything we do, right, Chris? It's like, true. Well, people, other people talk to me about like TV shows and other books they're reading. I'm like, yeah, I had to read, you know, uh, 20 comics or whatever. So, ICP. yeah, uh, exactly. I had to read, uh, you know, 12 ICP comics. So that that that's what it is. Life. That's the life of a comics podcaster. But indeed, we're definitely enjoying it, and we are very glad that Jeremiah is happy with it. He also, I I don't know why it wasn't here. He had a PS uh, saying that we don't need to read his. Letters on the air. He's not writing them, so he can get read on the air, uh, and that's fine. But, but we we would like to read everyone's letters. So if you were, sure. uh, it's, it's not just a Jeremiah segment, although <laughs> we're, ha- we're happy to, of course, read his letters. But anyone that writes to us, uh, we'd like to get to read it. We don't do it every episode, but once a month, we're trying to be we're trying. diligent about uh, cleaning out the mailbox. And if you want to write to us about the Brotherhood, about uh, mutant revolutions, about Anything we talked about in this episode or any other, you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, as mentioned, we do have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie. Three exclusive shows a month, plus just the good feeling of, uh, you know, making us feel loved. We like being loved. And you can love us on Facebook over at facebook.com slash Cosmic T-Mill History. And you can love us on Instagram at Cosmic T-Mill. We're on Twitter at Cosmic T-Mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You can check out... My, I, I always stumble over this one. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. We're, we're, we're taking this out for the next one. That's it. <laughs> we're we're going to have to switch it up here. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can check out uh, reviews and uh, discussion of new DC Comics over at WeirdScienceDCComics.com, where we uh, do reviews. We're on the show. Uh, you're doing retros. We're yep. all over the place. We get involved over there. So, yeah, just go check that out. And uh, Chris does his uh, daily posts over at ChrisIsOnInForTheEarth.com. Uh, the backlog is a... Different DC comic reviewed every single day of the week. And lately it's been uh, Action Comics, an issue of Action Comics per week, really doing a deep dive mm-hmm. into every story uh, in the issue. And I'm telling you, this is going to become a serious internet archive for Action Comics Weekly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. It's going to become the thing. So Chris is on awesome. Go check it out. 
You can also check out the show site over at chrisandreggie.com where you'll find our show notes, all of our episodes in chronological order from all of our programs. So if you want to listen to something the way it's intended to be listened to, that's where to go. Uh, there's also the box sets, which uh, we don't really talk about as much. It's just a compilation of of these episodes yeah. in the correct order, so you don't have to like hunt around anywhere. They're just all there, right in right in line for you. Yeah, like you've got the image first as a box yep. set, and there's a few other ones. So uh, yeah, that's the place to go. And while you're there, uh, if you're feeling chilly up top, go hit the banner for 80stees.com. If you see some designs that you like, you buy a few. You put a little cash in our pocket, put a lot more cash in their pocket, and you get a T-shirt on your bodice, and that seems to be uh, good for everybody. So check it mm-hmm. out. Hit that banner, 80stees.com. But I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? No, that'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill revolutionarily. See ya. There's a word for it. Words don't mean a thing. There's a name for it Names make all the difference in the world Some things can never be spoken Some things cannot be pronounced That word does not exist in any language It will never be uttered by a 